Welcome to Aspen Health Innovators Behind the Mask. I'm Indu Subaya, co-founder of Health 2.0 and an Aspen Health Innovators Fellow. In this podcast, my co-fellow, Deb Gordon, and I speak with U.S. healthcare leaders, all members of the Health Innovators Fellowship, to learn how they're leading through these turbulent times. We get behind the masks we wear as leaders and explore the values and tensions at the heart of the decisions we make. In this episode, I speak with Namdi Njoku, Vice President and General Manager of Transformative Solutions at Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology, services, and solutions based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We talk about Namdi's 15-year career at Medtronic and his role as chair of Medtronic's African Descent Network. We recorded this interview shortly after George Floyd's death in May, and we get into how the company responded to support its employees after an event that hit so close to home. Let's jump in. When did you begin at Medtronic? So I joined Medtronic right out, right after leaving Cornell, so right after my MBA. Mm-hmm. About 2005, so I've been there 16 years, my math is right. So I've been at Medtronic, the only company I've worked for since graduate school. Right. And, and why Medtronic? And, you know, what is it like to have seen a company grow over so many years? Why Medtronic? So the, the Medtronic story actually goes back to my consulting days. So I worked in the Minneapolis practice and Medtronic, obviously headquartered in the Twin Cities, is, was a big client of Deloitte at that time. So I spent about a third of my consulting career at Medtronic's old headquarters doing working on Medtronic projects. So that's how I got to know the company. And What do you think it was that you were responding to about kind of the spirit of the company? Because I have met some of your colleagues and I have visited you in Minneapolis. And, and I don't yeah. know that I could, you know, put language around that, but there is something <laughs> that, that stands out. So have uh, you ever tried to capture what it know, was about the culture or? You know, as a consultant, first job out of college, I distinctly remember this. Every time I'd be standing in the cafeteria and I would strike up a conversation with somebody at Medtronic, the question that always comes up was, how long have you worked here? (laughs) Right. And it was not uncommon to hear, you know, I've worked here 15 years. I've worked here 20 years. I'm like, what kind of company is this where people, you know, have worked here this long? And for somebody starting out a career in consulting where, it was typical to see somebody in consulting having worked there only two years or a year and a half or three years, definitely not 20 years. I mean, that was rare. And then when you start getting to know what the company uh, does in terms of applying biomedical engineering to different disease states or different uh, disease applications, there's something about that that just sort of gets you, uh, at least it got me, I should say. And then you start learning about the company and then you learn about the mission and how the company started in the garage in Fridley, Minnesota, by an engineer who essentially was fixing medical equipment for for clinicians in, in, at the University of Minnesota Hospital. So it's a combination of the story of how the company started, the mission of the company, and how that's endured over time, and how we sort of try to keep that framework in mind as we make tough business decisions. And, and one of the key things being a business leader of Medtronic is as much as we, we we want to perform and hit our quarterly targets, we do actually do, I think, a, a very good job keeping the patient and the customer front and center because we know that we could easily be in the shoes of a patient at any point in time. Right. That's really interesting. And that mission, you know, how would how would you put that mission into words? How, 
What is that mission? There's six tenets of the mission, but the, there's one that talks about, you know, making a fair profit. There's one that talks about acknowledging and, and the, the, the worth of every employee. There's one that talks about the quality of our products, not compromising around that. And there's one that talks about being a good corporate citizen. Even, you know, that was written at a, at a time when that wasn't even a conversation. Mm-hmm. So in your journey being there, how do you feel like you've shaped that culture? You know, are there moments that stand out where you're like, you know, that was not just Medtronic, but that was sort of Namdi's, you know, (laughs) have you felt the ability to kind of influence and shape such a powerful culture? I've been been here so long, it seems like, I mean, 16 years doesn't seem like a long time. You know, the aspects I would say that when I look back that I, I'm very proud of. I was part of a first wave of our sort of MBAs, so to speak, that came through our leadership development program. The first year it started, actually. And looking back and having had a hand in shaping that program, you know, as a first year person coming through it and then afterwards and recruiting people for the program, it's kind of nice to look back now and see leaders across the organization that I had a hand in recruiting and mentoring and, and, and sponsoring, as they say, through the organization. And I still play a role in that in terms of, you know, just making time to, to share my experience and whatever I've learned along the way. We just happen to be having this conversation now, which I think is relevant to bring up. The, the issue with George Floyd's killing in Minneapolis, that has actually obviously put the, the city here on, on edge. There's, there's, there's people protesting, rightly as they should, of the deep-seated issues that we, we, we need to sort of talk about and take on as a society. And as a company that's based in Minneapolis, we've had to grapple with that as well because all, our employees live in the community. And it's interesting because I happen to be sitting in the, in the chair position of our African Descent Network my old boss uh, just took over as CEO about a month ago. So we're sitting here together with all this stuff happening in our society, with our African descent employees having a hard time, frankly, just dealing with uh, what's going on, but also coming into work and having to do what they have to do every day to get their jobs done. So we just had a town hall with our new CEO, his first town hall. And as part of that town hall, being the chair of the African descent network, I had to try to put it into perspective what's happening in our society and what we need to do as a company to not only have this conversation, but be part of the solution in some way. And then at the same time, this is not a conversation that's natural to a lot of us or to society in general. But long story short, what I did was really try to frame what's going on and the fact that there are um, historical things that have driven us to this point, and also shared stories about what it means to be of African descent or Black. But the stories I told has really, I think, have opened up a conversation within the company to better understand what it is uh, what it is to be uh, of African descent, but also what do we as a company need to do to be part of bringing about lasting change. So it's kind of nice to see that happening within our company today. Were there certain things that were coming up in the stories that, mm-hmm. you know, really resonated with you or, or struck you? But I shared three stories about an African-American professor who was, you know, going about his average day and going to grab lunch and encountered the police and, you know, how he basically went through that experience and how he was shaken. And at the end of the day, after going through a traumatic experience, had to sort of put it all away and go teach a class. And so to tie tied it to what uh, most people have to do that go through that experience and 
show up to work and have to go about your day like nothing happened. And you think about doing that day after day. Um, and then the second story I told was an African-American man who lives on the West Coast who has lived in a, in a community for four years but has never gone walking around the neighborhood himself. Mm. Uh, every time he goes walking, he has to take his, his puppy and his daughter with him to look less threatening. And then the third story I told was just about a family, sort of a mixed-race family that where the husband, you know, went to take, took his wife's car to go buy gas and, you know, had a terrible encounter with somebody suspecting him of doing something suspicious, which is pumping gas, called the police. And all of a sudden he has to explain why he's not a suspect of some robbery that had gone on somewhere else. But the interesting thing about that particular story was what the wife said at the end, which was that her, her kids look nice and small and cuddly right now, but as they grow up, they start to be viewed as a threat to society, which really struck me. So those are the stories I sort of told to try to give people a sense of what people deal with. Part of it was to open up a window to a conversation so people understand more. When this happened in Minneapolis, did it surprise you that it was happening in Minneapolis? Or do you think that despite the roots and despite the deep ties in the community, this needed to really come to light? I think it surprised me a little bit. But, but I wasn't naive that it didn't exist, if that makes sense. But I was a bit surprised because, you know, in some ways, you know, I always wanted to think about the best parts of the community. Minnesota as a whole, I've always viewed it as a very welcoming place and a very fair place. But at the same time, it's a very, very segregated community as well. And those two things sometimes are hard to reconcile. So I wasn't completely surprised, but it was a part of me, too, that was surprised about the callousness of the act that led to George Floyd's killing. And maybe that's why it's captured the attention of everybody. I don't know. There was just something about that particular incident that was almost like out of character with, not that any killing is ever of character, but it was just so outside the norm, if you will. Yeah. How did that roll into the Medtronic atmosphere? Because, you know, you, you again mentioned this organization with such... A long history. It has, you know, fairness in the mission statement. You, you've been part of this mentor network there. So, what was that like? Had some of these issues come up in your mentorship conversations, or yeah. did it change the conversation? It's completely changed the conversation. You know, and we've seen this before, where we're hopeful about change, right? And then nothing happens. But there's something different about this time. I mean, I'm having conversations about race with my leadership team. I'm having conversations about race with my wife with her, my wife's family. I'm having conversations about race with the broader Medtronic employee community. I'm have, I think there's, there's an awakening that's happened right now. Part of the conversation we're having is, you know, what role do we all play now to, to help move the society in a more positive place? The answer is not an easy one, but, but at least we're asking the question. What are you saying? What would you say to folks living in this awakened moment? Uh, yeah. Not, what is the work still to be done? What can folks themselves do uh, yeah. if they navigate not just Medtronic, but the but the even the Aspen Institute or you know the, yeah. the larger world we live in? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good question because I've been getting that question from all segments of the company actually ever since I, <laughs> I dared to open the door to this conversation. If you're talking to somebody who's just trying to process, 
they're probably not in the position right now to start, you know, listening to action items in terms of what people need to go do. So for me, I just decided I was just going to be there for people. I was going to listen. I was going to support because to me, that was the consistent thing that played across every group. Right. I think that that's really wise to think of it as sort of like a stage of, of, of where in the emotional sort of spectrum are you? And also that can change. That can change from day to day. I think there are folks that, you know, there, there has to be permission to go back to anger. I would love to hear for folks listening about some of maybe those concrete examples in those stages. You mentioned maybe what are some specific things that have been proposed in those categories or that you're considering? A few things that we're doing, I would say in the first category of acknowledging and processing. So what we're doing we're, we're engaging uh, professional help, as I call it, to set up community discussions within the, co- within the company here and offering that to our employees. But what it basically is, is we're setting up time for African descent employees to be able to have a conversation with a trained professional in a group setting, a small group setting, just to get a chance to process um, their emotions and our emotions and feelings about what's going on. And then we're going to broaden out those conversations so the rest of the, uh, the employee community that wants to be part of this discussion will get a chance to now join it. And then in parallel to that, we've also done a lot of work as a team to, to push out a toolkit to help managers and leaders have conversations with their teams around this topic. And then in the long-term category, that's the part that we're still in the early stages, because as a company, you know, we're having conversations on, do we, do we leverage our, our influence lobby, you know, the government to push police reform or do we take on legislative issues? So we're trying to be deliberate to, to make sure that whatever we pick to engage on, it's for the long haul. Mm-hmm. I know you and I have talked a little bit about just personal journeys in leadership. And do you ever think like, Oh my God, you know, <laughs> Here I am at this time, the head of the African Descent Network. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it is both a, I am sure, a responsibility and an honor. How do you reconcile the weight of that? I have thought about that, actually, particularly after the incidents of this week and the conversations that have started. And the reason I was thinking about it was getting ready for the conversation with the rest of the employees you know, we all have our process we go through when we go to talk to different groups. And for some reason, I didn't, I was deliberate about, about not rehearsing. Nobody who was part of planning this town hall for the entire company really knew what I would be talking about. So everybody got to hear the message at the same time. So there was no couple people in the back room scripting how we we're going to do this type thing. And it was just a leap of faith that you know, the company decided to give me the time and it was up to me to figure out what I want to talk about. And I think maybe there's a something, I guess, the universe has put me here at this point in time to have that conversation. But the response from our employees have just been, has just been incredible. So I don't know how to reconcile it. Maybe, maybe it's just, I don't know, fate. But no, I have thought about that a lot in terms of why me and why now? Right. It's that inflection point that the Aspen Institute <laughs> has right. been talking about, Namdi. <laughs> right, <laughs> it is exactly. that inflection point. <laughs> yeah, but, it's, but, you know, it's not about me. You know, I guess I'm here to do what I can to move the conversation forward. That was my conversation with Namdi in May of 2020. 
We caught up with him in late September for an update on Medtronic's racial equity initiatives. And as you will hear, he and Medtronic have been busy. It's been a while since we last talked. Yes, time flies. And when we last sat down, it really felt like, I don't know from your perspective, but from my perspective, it really felt like we were opening the door to a new chapter, but had no idea what was on the other side. I mean, at least that's how I felt. Yeah, it's, you know, just looking back, I actually, first of all, that was just an intense time. And and when I look back now, I, I just sort of marvel about how much progress that we've made. We still have a long way to go, but a lot of what we've done, particularly, you know, at Medtronic was just frankly trying to sort of lay the tracks of how we go from everything that's happening and and what steps do we need to take going forward. So a few things have happened. We don't have the right language. This is not a conversation, particularly about race that we're used to having. So we had to go out and get experts. And initially we had to go get African-American experts to help us or help the African descent community within the company just create a space just to talk about what's going on and how do we take in what's going on, but also process it in a healthy way and figure out how to take the next step. We also have the opportunity of other employees reaching out for the first time, really asking, how can I get involved? What do you need from us? How can we be part of uh, the conversation and the solution? And it was this interesting dynamic of wanting to process first before, frankly, having people reach out to you. The first thing was just to create a space for us to just to just to process and heal to some extent, if, if I can use that word. And then that sort of kicked off a conversation internally within the company. We created the infrastructure where other leaders across the company, both African descent and, and non-African descent leaders, have the option of really bringing in experts to facilitate conversations about race within their teams. And the demand for that has just gone off the charts. And while it's not a very comfortable conversation for a lot of people and a lot of us, it has actually really opened up a window into what I call a deeper level of understanding between all of us. Even people you'd worked with for decades, but had never really had a certain type of conversation to really get to know them in in a different way. It's just opening up doors here. Now, is it all a smooth ride? No, there are some bumps along the way, but net net, I think it's been very positive because it's really, frankly, brought employees closer together. The other thing that's also happening, we've had uh, a chance to really think about our our presence in the community and and not only our presence, but what we need to do to be part of the solution with regards to social justice. We've really sort of shifted our thinking to say, first of all, We're trying to figure out a framework for how we support different causes, but also with the principle of we're not just going to write checks anymore. We're now going to create a framework where employees have to get involved. Number one, uh, employees get to learn about these issues in a deeper way that resonates and then bring that learning back into our walls, uh, you know, for, you know, to the extent that influences what we do within Medtronic, that's great. But the second thing too, is we actually want our employees to be involved in the community in a deeper way. So if we're going to write a check for something, it has to be coupled with uh, a strategy that gets employees involved in the action planning um, that, that's going to come out as a result. The last thing is internally, we've gone in and started looking at all our internal processes and saying, okay, in the past, you would typically have a diversity and inclusion team that would essentially shoulder all the burden of trying to you know, advance this work. <laughs> but now we're shifting the paradigm to business leaders being the, if I can use the tip of the spare with regards to uh, driving our diversity, inclusion, and equity agenda within the company. 
company. So I, as a business leader now, can't sort of farm that out to anybody else. I have to be accountable now for my strategy within my organization, which is a huge paradigm shift. So that's that's one of the shifts we're making within the company right now. Are you holding yourselves accountable to specific metrics or is this more of a qualitative shift that has to happen over time, you know, or is it a bit of both? I would say initially it's been, it has to be both. I think like anything else, right? If you can't measure progress, then you know, you're never going to know if you're making progress, if you're doing the right things, but we're not jumping to metrics to start out with. A lot of what we're doing right now is just frankly, just you know, this is not a new topic to a lot of us, but there's an approach that we're taking now that's that's really our work lives from our personal lives, from, you know, all the places and all the facets of how we exist. Whatever's going on in society impacts us, uh, whether we like it or not. So I do think that it's, it's opening up a, a, a thought process around community that's, I would say in my 15 years, I haven't really seen before. It's really giving us almost like a deeper feeling of what does it really be? So I feel like that's an evolution that's happening now. And that's not a metrics driven exercise. That's just we have to get people to a certain place with a certain level of appreciation or understanding about about, you know, what's what's happening in our society. I would say some of the other things that we're doing around partnering with other community organizations or entities that are doing this work. We're setting those metrics with regards to the partnerships to make sure that we're not only partnering with organizations that we feel are doing the work to advance, you know, whatever social equity cause that we're we're pursuing, but also making sure that the metrics we're putting around those partnerships are clear on both sides. So, for example, one of the things that we've done as a as a company is decided that we haven't done a good job attracting talent, uh, engineering or STEM talent from historically black colleges. So we've made that a priority as as an organization. And it's sort of this two pronged strategy of we're doing it in through our foundation where we're supporting full uh, scholarships for about 250 students over the next three to five years. But at the same time, we also have another arm of the partnership that's separate from that. So that's a pure investment we're making. But now we're saying we want to recruit more of this talent to come into the company. So that's how we're setting those metrics, not at the macro level. It's more about shifting the thinking and then setting the metrics where action is really happening. One of the questions I have for you personally is that, you know, I remember you telling me about the day that you addressed, you know, the employees of Medtronic on the heels of uh, the murder of George Floyd. One of the questions I, I hear from people is, well, it's a lot. It's a lot to carry this responsibility of doing my work, of taking care of myself and my family, and now also being involved in this work of, of equity and change. Mm-hmm. How have you managed to keep a balance so that it becomes, you know, sort of a, an honor and not a burden? Yeah. How did, what does that mean to you? What's happened since then has been interesting. I think it, I think it touched people in in such a way that all of a sudden now you're looked at it, or I'm looked at as I have the answers. I'm the expert. I know how to take us from you know from where we are to where we need to be, and that's a scary place to be, right? Because I, I'm sitting here and I'm trying to figure this out like everybody else, right? So it's been interesting with regards to the volume of, and again, I was busy before, but just the volume of invitations to come and talk to different groups. I mean, I got to the point where I just had to say, you know what, I can't, you know, I have a business to run. I can't, you know, spend every week talking to some other group about, about racial equity and, and what needs to be done and, and, and giving people ideas of what, how they need to engage. I've curtailed that. I've just sort of pulled back. I'm not, I'm not saying no to everything everyone, but I'm picking and choosing my spots just 
from a standpoint of just to stay sane and do my day job and <laughs> take care of myself. But at the same time, I don't want to complete this kinetic, right? Because I feel like some people heard some things from me that they want to hear more of. So I have sort of picked places where I've gone out to engage. But from a personal standpoint, you know, one of the things that I've actually benefited from, even though I chair the African Descent Network, I have a pretty I would say supportive and capable leadership team around me and just being intentional about parsing out the work to those team members has actually helped because, you know, the the load is lighter and these are our capable leaders that frankly have more experience uh, on this issue than I, than I do personally. To get back to your point about, you know, things that you, open the door to and then kind of can't put put back or can't look away. Do you still feel that that optimism now that some of these doors have opened and people are being forced to confront more? Or are there days that you're like, this might be a few steps backward? You know, just where are you on that spectrum? And as especially as you look ahead. I just can't shake the optimism, right? It's I don't know what it's it's built upon. It's it's just there. <laughs> I mean I, I just think that we've made a shift that I just don't see us going back. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we're going to solve everything in the next six to nine or 12 months. But just the fact that we're, we have a different level of appreciation for our, you know, the person sitting next to us and a deeper level of appreciation of what's going on in our society right now. We might not have, you know, all the solutions right now, but I just don't see us turning that down and going back. And you've made such a long commitment to the company at this point, I'm sure your horizon, you know, it takes that long arc into view as well in the future. Just as we wrap up here, Namdi, give us a sense of just what the feeling is like in Minneapolis now. I know that, you know, there's no one answer to that, of course, but is there a visible shift since June and in what ways? That's the one part I would say that's a bit disappointing. I don't know if I've seen the shift yet. I think that what's happened is there's what I call a a renewed awakening for what needs to change. But I'm not sure that as a community, we figured out how to go about pursuing that change. What I see happening is sort of a a confluence of the confluence of the pandemic and the confluence of the political season. I would say there's still a lot of good sort of energy and optimism in terms of pushing for, you know, just pushing for change and change that's going to be meaningful to, to all of us. But I think we're grappling for how to do that. And in some ways, and, and that grappling and that struggle is sort of created us. It almost feels like we're stuck here in, in neutral. <laughs> Well, that's the thing about change, you know, that these are snapshots in time. So we'll just have to check in in about six months <laughs> and see how that needle moves because it isn't, you know, uh, overnight, especially. I think I imagine outside of the structure of a corporation, you know, the world is a messier place. So, but anyway, thank you so much for this update, Namdi, and really respect the journey that you've led and been on yourself and all the best as you and Medtronic carry this important work forward. Well, yo, thank you very much. I appreciate it. For more information on Namdi and Medtronic, visit Medtronic.com. Thanks to everyone who made this episode possible. Emily Rubenstein, Rima Cohen, Shannon Machetti, Phil Havayana, Colby Hartberg, and Deb Gordon. Aspen Health Innovators Behind the Mask is a collaboration between Deb Gordon, Indu Subaya, and the Aspen Health Innovators Fellowship. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and follow us at Aspen Institute 
to stay up to date with our work. For more information, visit aspeninstitute.org backslash HIF. Thanks for listening.